Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventures today take us to Anaheim. We're talking with Megan Ebeck. She's uh, got a great background. I'm excited to talk to her about all kinds of stuff. Uh, she's currently the marketing manager at the Honda Center. Welcome, Megan. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, we talk to a lot of people in different phases of their career. And uh, one of the things, you know, that we, we do, I talk, talk to people with a lot of experience. We talk to people with, you know, who are brand new to the industry, too, because they bring a different perspective. But when Paul and I were talking about having you on as a guest, uh, one of the reasons we want to talk to you is because you're kind of a, a different from a lot of our other guests. And you're, you're still kind of on the new side, right? You still get that new car smell, but uh, you've got a little bit of experience and been uh, a heck of a few years here for you. But uh, excited to, to hear about your adventures. Tell us, uh, for, for those who don't know, uh, Honda Center, Anaheim, what, what's, what's going on there? What's what's happening? What's the Honda Center doing these days? Yeah, definitely. It's been a wild ride, I guess, for everybody, especially with the pandemic. But getting back into the swing of things here in California, figuring out on what day is the mask mandate happening? When is it ending? But we just ended up having UFC at the arena and had the highest gate revenue for the state of California for UFC. Pretty amazing. And it was my first UFC event. So that was a pretty awesome experience, just seeing the pay-per-view and side of it and just going above and beyond on the backstage to kind of make UFC feel at home. But the other part about Honda Center is they're expanding with OC Vibe and uh, you can look it up on ocvibe.com and just kind of see everything that's coming to Anaheim in the next few years leading up to the 2028 Olympics. What what is OC Vibe? Is that is that a is that a venue? Is that a It's a venue that will be a smaller amphitheater attached to Honda Center, but also okay. just kind of creating a community and just making Anaheim kind of a destination. Like a district almost, right? Like kind of threading all these multi-use facilities together. And I mean, that definitely is something I think I've seen happening in, in cities and they seem to be pretty successful, but you know, creating more than just the, you know, arena silo in the middle of the downtown, but how do we, you know, add in some bars and how do we add in some hotels and a couple other amphitheaters use it year round. So I, yeah, I think that's really exciting. And being a part of the Olympics in 2028. Um, oh yeah. That little, that little oh. deadly. <laughs> well, the, the Olympics, <laughs> right. Just why would uh, So are, is it too early? Cause I know when we do like, you know, one of the big NCAA championships or we host a big event like that, we start planning uh, years in advance. When do you guys have to start thinking Olympics? I am still on the new side of things, but yeah. I know the talks of, this would be more of a question for Kim, who was another guest on this podcast. That's more up her alley. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it's a, it's a lot going on there. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned uh, the pandemic being a, uh, 
a big factor in the past couple of years as it has has for all of us and how things are ever evolving and and changing and keeping up with the rules and everything. Uh, but it's been quite a a ride for you. So I, I know we mentioned that you know you've kind of had a, a a big adventure, but you know talk to us about these past couple of years and what they've been like for you personally. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. I think I've experienced the highs and lows of all of the things that you can experience during this pandemic from parents getting COVID to dodging COVID to losing a job to quitting a job to kind of landing back at home and doing the full <laughs> migration home and to losing a family member. So I've kind of seen the full spectrum of all of this madness. Yeah, geez. I mean, I feel you on some of that, but fortunately I've, I've not experienced some of the other stuff, but I know you and I connected a lot over the last year and a half because we were, uh, you know, unfortunately some of the people that did lose our job because of uh, everything. And, you know, that's, that's its own unique role. There was a lot of furloughs. Um, fortunately there was not as many layoffs, but uh, some of us did get hit with that. So it, it definitely created a different experience, but you know, what, what did you, uh, we were talking a little before we recorded how, how you're big in like Peloton, but like, what kind of did you pick up during that time? I know for me, since I wasn't kind of in this, like, oh, we're bringing you back out of furlough. Oh, we're putting you back into furlough. I think some of the people were kind of stuck on that yo-yo, whereas maybe the good thing, I guess, if there's any small benefit of getting <laughs> laid off is, is it's like, well, you're laid off. So like, you don't have a job, <laughs> like you don't have to worry about it. Uh, so, you know, it kind of forces you into like, what am I going to do? Like what hobbies am I going to pick up and I know you you were doing some like little uh like digital drawing and stuff on your iPad is it like what kind of stuff did you pick up during that downtime to sort of fill the time and explore yeah I think it was so I was laid off in August and I think the next month a few of my coworkers from the Sharks and SAP Center decided to do a running contest to see how many miles we could get during the month of September and I took wow. that literally and I think all of us <laughs> ended up around 40 to 45 miles per that month, which is crazy because none of us were runners. I had not uh, run a mile basically since high school, if that. So I picked up running and it's on a really old school treadmill while using the Peloton app, but it's kind of been my sanity for the last two years and something I don't know why none of us really focused on before because we're so busy working in the entertainment industry that now kind of finding our loophole of what actually helps just do day by day. But yeah, I picked up drawing on Procreate, started drawing a few of the athletes, uh, drew Mike Trout because I love the Angels and Mike Trout from when I interned with them back in 2014. But I'd say Peloton running, EAMC, when I was laid off, I was like, I have all the time in the world now. So like, how can I be more involved? Uh, let me learn yeah. how to better my skills on Photoshop and just kind of see what I can take this time to learn and have the ability to kind of pause. And it also took me back to all the things that used to make me happy when I was a kid. Cause I loved to draw when I was a kid, started doing that again. Yeah. And I was a fairly large athlete as a child playing soccer, doing Irish dance and tennis. So just kind of going full circle to what made me happy as a kid. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things you had on, which is so, so true is fortunately for the, the, the conference and for this podcast, uh, you and I did have a lot more free time and to give credit where it's due, anyone listening, Megan is the one who does all of the cover graphics for all of our episodes. She and Camille, who we've had on and Samantha Marker, who's also on our team, 
I mean, they're very much the unsung heroes doing all the heavy lifting behind Dave and I, and, and it's, a lot uh, of heavy you know, <laughs> they, they got in before we launched it and it was back when it was just this crazy idea. And we're like, can we even pull this off? And honestly, we would not have been able to, but just as I've, I think, spoken about previously, how it was this opportunity with more time. It was the same with, uh, you know, Megan and Samantha, and they kind of jumped in and said, you know, I've got extra time. Like, how do we do this? Like, let's play with it. Let's figure it out. And I think, you know, we both probably found a little outlet in that because it was this new kind of fun toy of marketing a podcast that none of us had done before. And, and it was just something to occupy our time. It was like a unpaid job that we kind of got to sink our teeth into and distract us from everything else. And stay connected to the industry after being kind of let go from it and just having a pulse on what's happening and kind of how the pandemic is shaping up what we did love and how we could get back to it one day. Yeah. So Megan, you know, you talked about using this time to kind of teach yourself Photoshop, right? So I know there's folks out there listening we, who do live and die by the graphic designer, right? But, uh, you know, you've been doing some of that. So Let's talk to that person who is who is not sure where to start. How do you how do you teach yourself Photoshop? I think you just start. One of the books I actually read over the pandemic too was Atomic Habits. And I highly recommend that book. But it says basically if to break a habit, basically action is the first thing you need to do. So just starting, the scariest part is what you don't know. So when you just start trying to figure it out and Google how to do it, there's so much content out there. Um, on Google, on YouTube, on Skillshare, just to learn. So I think just having the courage to just open up Photoshop and just start messing around with it. And then even then, you you can still like learn how to do things, but there's always another way to do it. So just because right. you learn it one so way, but that's, the, that's the way there it is. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's so addictive. And it's so addictive. Once you get in there, you find that you can't stop messing around with pictures. And, and uh, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You almost have to like relinquish control of, of knowing it all too. Like anyone who I know that knows how to use Photoshop, everyone would probably say like, oh, I only know how to use it somewhat. Cause it is such a beast of a program. Like you shouldn't enter it thinking, oh my gosh, there's this giant mountain of a program. I have to learn everything. You're, you're just never going to learn everything. You just kind of, like you said, you have to jump in and then you have to stumble and then you have to kind of just figure out your way to do it. But there's a million ways to do the same thing. So everyone can kind of find their own comfortable path to get done what they need to do. I think it's also evident too, when you look at shows ad mats, you get some from some promoters that have about right. six layers, and then you get other ad mats from Live Nation that are perfect. <laughs> right. That's true. I know. It's, it informs it's funny because, Paul, you're right. You know, you get in there and you're, it's intimidating because there are 65 different options and 112 things to choose from. But really, you know, kind of like Megan was saying, once you get started, you just pick, you pick one thing and watch a YouTube video on how to fix, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a blemish in a photo. And next thing you know, you know how to do that. And you pick up on one more thing. It's, it's a very cool way to uh, get started. Megan, uh, when I was uh, uh, snooping around about you, one of the things that I thought was pretty cool that, uh, that I don't know much about, and I think a lot of people listening to the podcast are marketing experts, but we get nervous when it comes to Google ads or when a promoter mentions search or display or, uh, you know, ad measurement, but you are, you are certified by Google. Talk to us about that process. 
That was another thing that I did with my spare time around the fall of 2020 was just starting to dive deep into Google, knowing that digital ads are definitely the way of the future in terms of how you can track your marketing campaigns and see. Um, now that we want to basically start tracking results, knowing that budgets might change if you're going to get a smaller budget slash just so how you can make sure you get the most bang for your buck. But definitely spent the time to do all the Google ad certifications. Um, they took quite a long time. And now is it like an, is it like an online course you're taking there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, you get a, a certification that lasts for about a year. So I now have emails saying that mine are now outdated. So I need to go back and <laughs> do that. <laughs> it's just through Google and it gives you real life examples from mom and pop stores about how they should best use their campaigns. And it's interesting seeing it from kind of it's more towards a perspective, somebody who doesn't really understand what marketing is and just kind of teaching them the method behind the madness while also having it be more on the advanced level to do the nitty gritty of the campaigns and kind of see how many different ways you can run your digital campaign. Yeah, my biggest challenge with that always is, is like, you know, it's it's a lot of times that stuff's handled nationally. And then so you get that opportunity some, by somebody and they're like, hey, can you get into this? And you, you get in there, you teach yourself how to do it. And then it's, you know, eight months until you do it again. And by that time, everything's changed. <laughs> Yep. everything's mm -hmm. changed or you forget it and you're like I right I went into <laughs> right. every menu's different oh my gosh it's now offering these 12 new sizes that I have to design for or whatever it is or videos changed or Facebook has changed their privacy roles and now you're not reaching right. yeah it, to be a good digital marketer I feel like you have to live and breathe it daily or weekly at a bare minimum <laughs> yeah to some degree for sure so then those those are free uh free certifications that you can get and what kind of time do you think you put into that? I would say it took me about two to four hours a week to do, to get through some of it. Um, They're quite in, in extensive just based off the way it was set up in terms of timing you for answers and the quizzes and whatnot. All right. So for you folks listening out there who uh, have always wanted to learn a, bit, a little bit more about Google ads, uh, you know, whether it's search or or display or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, reach out to Megan, and she'll be she'll be happy to uh, uh, give you the links to uh, uh, get yourself started there. Hey, speaking of getting started, uh, you are uh, over a decade ago going to class at the University of Arizona, uh, and and College of Management. What did you think you wanted to do at that point, and what got you over into the live event industry? It's a great question. When I was, I'm going to go back to high school for a bit. When I was in high school. I was asked by my friend to do the stats for my high school's baseball team because she didn't want to be the only girl. So I started doing it. And at the time I was 16 and my mom was like, you're not going on the away games because you're going to be with a bunch of boys. And that's just not a good environment. <laughs> but I did it anyways. And I did it for two and a half years. And Nolan Arenado happened to be on the team who's now just a casual gold glover, silver slugger, whatever you uh, want. You know, no big deal. Uh, but we ended up going to the CIF championships, playing at Dodger Stadium. And I was like, this is amazing. I wanna be involved in this kind of atmosphere. And I knew when I was looking for schools that I wanted to go to a school that um, basically was a sports school. You could argue Arizona is not the best sports school to attend, but near like whatever. I ended up going to Tucson. I swear they put something in the water because everybody is a giant basketball fanatic. And I got an internship with Arizona Athletics right off the bat. I think it was my second month in 
one of my sorority sisters was like, once again, we're looking for another girl um, because we're trying to not be an office of boys. So I ended up getting an internship at Arizona Athletics and just fell in love with it. And originally at that point, I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer, but I ended up going to a graphic design class and I felt like I was an eight-year-old in a class of 25-year-olds. And I was like, this might not be the career path for me. Why don't I go to marketing and do a little mixture of graphic design and marketing, but learn how to do the full picture while working with graphic designers. So kind of knew what I wanted to do immediately right off the bat freshman year. Well, it's a lucky thing. That's a that's a that's a <laughs> a nice uh, option to have there. So you know, you you graduate and you spend a little time doing the one thing that drives most people out of this business, which is you spend some time as a as a ticket sales representative mm-hmm. <laughs> with the Fiesta Bowl, right? Yes. At the time, I was working for Western Digital as my full time job as a field rep, which also can deter people from doing marketing (laughs) because it is marketing, but it's also not. I was driving around Phoenix, um, hitting up Best Buys, Walmarts, Office Max, Staples, you name it, pushing hard drives. And I was like, I I can't do this any longer, but it taught me a lot. And I really wanted to get back into sports. So I was crazy. And I worked an eight hour shift for WD. And I worked four hours during that day for the festival just to see if I could get into the sports world. You got a passport. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) I held I held up my uh, external hard drive for people listening. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I did the ticket sales, but it was the easy kind of ticket sales almost because it was inbound sales. I wasn't doing cold calls. It was okay. All right. That's I want to buy festival tickets. What's my best option? (laughs) That's nice. Uh, so there you after that, you end up going uh, back to school to get your master's degree uh, in sports management at the University of San Francisco. Yeah, I ended up applying and I left my WD job a week to the year just to go back to school and pursue the sports um, entertainment career full time. Um, moved back home, started, I believe it was summer of 2013 with the intention of trying to work for the Angels and I ended up getting the Angels internship, I think a few months later, and interned for them during the 2014 season. Yeah, baseball, like I'm sure everything is different. Every league's different, but you know, obviously working so much on the arena side now and working in buildings that are in HL, what have you found from your experience in baseball that is very different than what you're doing now? I think the team side in general, you very much so ride the highs and the lows of the season and you're pretty much deterrent on the wins column instead of the overall picture, where I think the arena side gives you the ability to work on so many different things that you're just kind of more is looking for the next event and then knowing that everything is different with baseball. You have different promotional items that could be kind of different, but it's at the end of the day, it's the same. Here's another bobblehead that's different or this <laughs> night, tomorrow or next day is Jared Weaver. I'm dating myself back to the 2014 season, Albert Polhos, all those guys, but yeah. <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be a gauntlet of a season too. I feel like baseball, they play like 7,000 games in one season, right? Isn't that it? (laughs) I mean, that's more than like any other league. (laughs) It probably feels like 7,000. Like, man, I just can't imagine. Uh, It's probably exciting. It's probably like any of these teams or leagues that any of us experience. Like I know when working at, at Rupp and having like UK basketball is one of those things that 
I was eager for the season to kick off about a month out. I was like, oh, this is exciting. Basketball's back. Basketball's <laughs> back. And then about a month or two before it was left, I was like, I'm so exhausted. I don't want to see another basketball. I'm tired. Like, what is this? This is running me ragged. And then you kind of like get this amnesia a few months later. And then you're like, all right, when's it starting back up again? I'm sure it's the same with baseball where it's like, everyone's excited for opening day. And then a few months in, they're like, yeah. So how many more games do we have? (laughs) How many more bobbleheads do we need to order? Like, uh, that season ended on a high note because it was the last time the Angels made the playoffs. So we got to ride the wave for the playoffs and just get to see what Mike Trout could do. But unfortunately, the Royals swept the Angels in the first round. Oh, so man. that was and then you're no longer there. So clearly you were the good luck charm. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of riding the wave, you kind of rode that into uh, uh, a position with the uh, the Big West Conference. Uh, where you worked for a little bit uh, there in marketing and, and social media. Talk to us about, about that experience. Yeah, that Big West internship actually let me be a, uh, kind of a resident Honda Center back in 2015 before now for the Big West tournament, which was pretty cool. Um, the Big West, let the, it was a marketing internship, but that's kind of the time period where social was starting to take off. Um, so I was really able to kind of just start messing around on social media and just kind of getting to feel of how it was going to work from the Big West side. Did the same with the Angels too, but the Big West kind of really gave me ownership of it, which was a lot of fun to just do as an intern. When the joke about social media and interns were kind of a thing, now you got vice presidents right. doing it. Um, but yeah. Big West was great. Um, different conference feel from the Pac-12, but just a lot of fun. So what, what did you take away from, from that experience, from the collegiate side of things, going from, you know, Major League Baseball uh, to, you know, we're really working from the, on the conference side of things that, that's still with you today? I think it's about kind of just pushing the bond that you have on the conference side of things, um, because like, especially in the Pac-12, like you go to Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament and it's more of a Pac-12 pride thing where you're walking down the street from the Pac-12 tournament. You're like, oh, there's Colorado. Oh, there's UCLA. And then you see all of you. It's like, it's just a different feel than just Arizona everywhere. But I think the Big West tournament was more about kind of pushing to with the schools that basketball is here and like we get to send a team to the tournament. And in that year it was UC Irvine that won the Big West championship with, um, Mamadou, who's a seven foot six guy who was just an incredible human being. Um, It was a crazy experience to kind of see his dream of going to March Madness come to fruition and just college kids in general, just knowing that they're accomplishing their dreams. Yeah. Well, from that point, you end up uh, uh, spending a a good chunk of your professional career, about five years in uh, San Jose. So so talk to us about how, how this happened. After graduation from USF, uh, this the arena marketing coordinator was actually sent to the USF listserv, and I applied for it because the job description was pretty much taking social media and everything that I had done and combining it with everything I wanted to learn, the media buying side of the industry and just getting the full marketing feel. Because a lot of the internships up until that point were just kind of like touching marketing, but not really diving into the marketing plans. So that's what drew me and just knowing that the live events, uh, they were also hosting the 2016 Olympic trials for the women's gymnastics team. And I thought that would be an amazing thing to work for. And the NCAA tournament 
with the West Regionals in 2017. So those two events combined with the job description, I was sold. <laughs> and you're at a building that's got an NHL team too. Is that something that, did you ever watch NHL or was that your kind of first experience, you know, being exposed to that? My dad's from Pittsburgh, so I was technically raised a Penguins fan, which the ironic part <laughs> about that is the Sharks ended up playing the Penguins in the 2016 Stanley Cup at SAP Center, which oh, yeah. my cousin was a turd. I don't know if people still see <laughs> <laughs> He sent me a Sidney Crosby built or jersey to SAP Center right before game three of the Cup while we were all in Nashville for EAMC. So I didn't even get to open the jersey. And someone, <laughs> my coworkers decided to open up the box and take Sidney Crosby's jersey and put it on my desk in my cube. And I was like, that's it. I'm getting fired. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, that's definitely, that's funny you mentioned that EAMC has some of uh, the fun memories I, I think of when I think of the conferences. It does usually land that early mid-June, which is around the NBA finals, around the Stanley Cup finals. Right. And so sometimes it prevents some of the people from those buildings from going, but usually the building people might be there because it's just the team that are participating. And, and one of the kind of fun dynamics is you do have people that are sometimes there watching these finals, like in the hotel bar with their, uh, you know, contemporary that's from the other building. And you're literally, you know, sitting right next to them. You're both, you know, rooting on you. you it's, it's just creates this hilarious dynamic. And I, I remember many a times where like Liz Roca, who was with the heat at the time and Jim Delaney, who's from Boston, you know, watching these heat and Celtics games and it getting pretty, hilariously heated and uh it was i don't know i think it it's a funny thing because i think you know we network so much at it but uh because it does fall during that very you know intense finals time it, it creates a fun little uh rivalry between a lot of buildings definitely i remember watching the blues with people from the blues building in toronto when they won right have one person screaming by themselves because we're all transplants with the one person who is a blues fan <laughs> <laughs> Always an adventure. Always an adventure. Now, speaking of adventures, uh, you know, the, the pandemic hits and uh, you found yourself out of a gig. Right. So uh, was that something where, you know, I, I know it's a hard thing for a lot of people to talk about. Uh, and, you know, some of us were uh, let go from jobs. Some of us were uh, redeployed and had some other challenges and, and everybody, everybody kind of struggled. So talk to me about kind of that moment in you know, uh, I guess probably, oh, in August, 2020 for you, when you find out you're out of work and you have to make that decision of, is this an industry I want to stay in? Yeah, definitely. I almost had a feeling that it was coming. So to say I was surprised would kind of be a lie. I just, I was part of a 17 group layoff and just knowing that changes were definitely coming around the corner and that things were going to happen, but I knew I wanted to stay in the industry. So I knew I was just taking the time to learn what was out there and just kind of help more with EAMC and stay connected and just kind of sit back and explore what I really wanted. And part of that was coming home to Southern California and being closer to my family. So technically in the end, it all worked out outside of a little experiment in Arizona and just trying to figure out where I was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. 
it was a tough time for a lot of folks, but uh, eventually you do end up uh, at the, at the Honda Center. Uh, and how, how did how did you get back in the business? Um, so it was just kind of a weird sequence of perfect events. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> I know. They say it's like it's not luck. It's just like the preparation to get to that point to where it just adds up, which is one hundred percent true. Because I literally put in my resignation and then shot an email to my now boss and said, hi, I'm available and I'm literally down the street if you're still hiring. My name is Megan. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Right place, right time for so many of us. That's that's what it that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it is crazy. Hey, speaking of crazy, you do something that's kind of cool. Am I right that you actually assist? Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna name names, but a, a former Olympic gold medalist with his social media efforts. Yeah. So during my job search, uh, after hosting in San Jose, uh, was supposed to be two national championships, one Olympic trials for figure skating. Got to know the people at U.S. Figure Skating and stayed in touch over the years. And one of them reached out to me and said, "Hey, we have an Olympian who's really trying to grow his social media. Like, would this be something that you're interested in?" you know him, you've met him back in 2018. And I think you would be a good fit. And I was like, I don't know if I have the time at the moment to do it, but let me stay in touch and like, see where this goes. So the day that I ended up putting in my resignation, I ended up calling him and it was like, hi, I'm available. How do we get this going? I've never done this before, but let's try and figure it out. And if this works, we can see how, where this goes. So I'm currently on month four of that. And the Nationals just happened in Nashville two weeks ago and was able to do a bunch of cool things with him, get his content on NBC Olympic story, the U.S. figure skating story, and just kind of help. It's an experiment, really. And it's it's kind of fun just to see kind of what works because all of his figure skating content always performs, but he's also a chef and a bartender. So it's a little oh, mixture wow. of yeah. doing sports content with food and beverage content and just getting creative, but it's different. What's that like, yeah, what's it like managing kind of like a personality account versus, yeah, you know, uh, a venue, uh, which obviously you've done, you know, you've been around teams and then, you know, you've even dabbled in podcasts now, but, you know, how does that vary? Because, you know, all of those are, of course, using the same platform, but you almost have to treat them differently. They each need to have kind of their own brand and be, some of them are a little more as a corporate and the other ones are a little more personal. So what differences have you found or have you seen from, you know, other accounts that you followed? This one is a little different because it's almost kind of like an intimate little world. So I'm technically reading his direct voice or messages and I feel like a creep almost because I'm like, I don't know if I should be listening or reading these messages. So luckily you, I'm able to swipe and make it unread so he knows to go and look at it. But as the voice, I think it's awesome because you have the fan favorites and the people who are the super fans, but they're a super fan of a person who gave them so much joy during the Olympics when he won and all that. So they relate to him. Whereas a venue is more of a a things happening in the venue as opposed to like the person. And then you also have to keep in mind that it's his reputation that's on the line. So you don't want, you want to make sure everything fits his identity and has, has his approval where on the arena side, it's more live nations approving your content. Whoever is in the building is approving your content, but it's just protecting his identity as opposed to not really having an identity on the arena side. 
because I think arena social is one of the hardest socials to do really, because one day you're posting about Marco Antonio Solis, the next day you're talking about Disney on ice and then just, right. <laughs> and all of those don't really hit the same audiences. But then when you post yeah. and it's uh, on posts like the sharks or the ducks, everybody oh, who follows or not everybody, but 70% the vast of the majority. Follow, right. Yeah. 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 So like those, those posts just automatically have more engagement. It's like, this isn't even fair. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, and I mean, that's a good point you bring up. I mean, I think that probably means the stakes are a bit higher when you're managing a personal brand account, because not that you're going to like be flippant or anything with like an arena account, but you know, if you mess up on one little WWE post, it's not the end of the world. There's a million other events and stuff, but you know, messing up on one, little you know post on someone could mean uh, i mean i'm not trying to freak you out but it could mean them getting canceled you know like the extremities <laughs> are so like severe you know so i think that is an interesting uh, perspective that you do have to be you know more respectful that this is someone's identity you know it's creating a brand for them this could be their livelihood but um i'm sure it also has like a love that you brought up that maybe it has more of like a personal connection and that's not to say people don't have that connection with venues and teams, but you know, when there's someone's face that's associated with it, it's gotta be really kind of emotional. Cause I'm sure a lot of people do have these very vivid memories, especially with Olympics that, you know, they, you know, have these memories of watching them with their, their, their kid or their father, or maybe they are also, you know, a competitor in that sport. And, you know, I'm sure that's, really kind of you know meaningful in a in a different way it's that too and it's also engagement i remember when he was kind of interviewing me he was like i want to make sure that whoever's doing this isn't just commenting on different celebrities posts that i don't even know who they are so i was just like yeah we'll, we'll be very careful about whose accounts we're engaging with and try and keep in the figure skating world and then not cross any political boundaries or anything that might get you canceled like i don't want any part of that <laughs> that's great well you know it, it it's it's neat that you found that and I, I think megan the one thing that i'm seeing as a theme is you know you're kind of finding a way uh uh when you're you know when you're out of work or you know you're finding a way to figure out photoshop or to become google certified or to manage a personal social media account so talk to that person who's listening right now who's you know maybe out of work or maybe new to the industry what advice do you have for them to kind of help, you know, their career kind of get that jump start? It's a good question. I think in my USF sport management days, one of the things that they said for people who don't know what they want to do is to always try an internship um, because an internship in any area that interests you, but just to try it first, because when you try it, that's how you really know if that's what you want to do before you pursue it. Committing to an internship that expires in four months is a lot better than trying a coordinator job and realizing four months in that you're going to quit. Yeah. <laughs> so I think right. just seeing where you can try doing informational interviews and kind of gaining as much knowledge as you can before really helps kind of shape, which goes back to action, because like, if you don't know what you don't know, and I feel like that kind of helps anybody on a career path, as well as just life in general. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Uh, hey, uh, you know, we like to do this before we let you go. We like to hit you with our fast five. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your immediate response. So up first, what was your very first concert? I think my first paid concert was 
Katy Perry at Arizona with my own dollars. Very nice. Uh, how about your How about your favorite concert? Favorite concert? I think Taylor Swift's concert, the Reputation Tour at Levi Stadium. The big stadium, the big stadium tour. Yeah. Swifty. <laughs> Peloton's Taylor Swift uh, program, absolutely recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not have done one of those. <laughs> no, no comment. How about the nicest artist you've ever met? Nicest artist I've ever met. I definitely could say an athlete. We drove, I drove Carly Patterson around promoting the 2016 trials and she was just like my best friend. She was awesome. That's so cool. How about a, uh, your favorite venue that you uh, haven't yet uh, had a chance to go to? So maybe a bucket, let's call it your bucket list venue. I'm going to have to say SoFi Stadium. I haven't made my way up there yet. What's, what's the drive time there on a good day? An hour and like five minutes. Oh, no excuse. I get, grab wow. some Super Bowl tickets. I know. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, last question for you. What is your theme song? What is the, the song that plays over the opening credits to the, the Ebeck show, right? Where it's all about you. Cameras follow you around. What's the, what's the uh, theme song for your show? I'm going to stick along with the Katy Perry theme. And given that I've worked both NorCal and SoCal venues and go with California girls. Nice. <laughs> Megan, uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you about Google certification or anything? What's the, what's, the, what's the best place to find or follow you? I'd say Twitter or LinkedIn. My Twitter account is my high school nickname, which is Meigs with three E's and three Z's. And <laughs> Way to hold on to that one. <laughs> I haven't changed it. I've thought many times, but there's another Megan Ebeck who took all of my usernames. So oh, we're just keeping it a high school nickname. <laughs> I, think, I think you need to challenge her. I do, but I'm related the to The true it. Megan Ebeck will survive. Highlander. She's my second cousin. So uh, okay. <laughs> I'm mad. Can uh, you get well, them? That's true. <laughs> well, hey, we really appreciate your time today and uh, all your work in the podcast, too. For all of our listeners, thank you for helping get the word out and uh, all your behind-the-scenes work you do to help us. Paul and I look good. Absolutely. Appreciate it. It's fun. You guys also do the hard job, public speaking every single week to get it going. <laughs> Hey, we do want to thank everybody who's a listener to Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews. So it helps others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venue Land is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.